Yesterday, we began our discussion of what does it mean to understand something. And this is a very important topic because there are so many things that we need to understand. We're not talking simply about understanding the various points of the Dharma. But this issue is uh, very important in our daily life as well. We need to understand language, what people are saying. We need to understand other people, their problems. They say something to us, how do we understand what it is? Do we only understand the exact words or do we understand deeper meaning behind it? We need to understand how to use a new computer. We need to understand ourselves and our behavior in order to be able to somehow improve it if there's something faulty with it. And understand why am I acting like this? And why are you acting like this? So, we're not talking about some esoteric theme in epistemology that is just uh, perhaps interesting, perhaps not so interesting. We're talking about something that's very relevant to being able to deal with daily life issues. And what we saw yesterday is that basic mental activity is the arising of a mental hologram. And a mental engagement, some sort of cognitive engagement with that. And these are two ways of describing the same event. Right? It's not that you think that a thought arises and then you think it. The arising of a thought is the thinking of a thought. And only that is occurring. There's no separate me that is controlling it or observing it. And that is all that is here. It's not just that. 
By the way, that's very important when you do mindfulness meditation. I believe that you do that here to avoid this uh, complication that could come in when doing that meditation. Because when you are observing the arising of various thoughts or emotions or sensations or things like that, the danger is to conceive that there is a separate me that's watching all of this stuff. All that's happening is the arising of these feelings, like a mental hologram, cognitive engagement with it, and it's being accompanied by awareness of it, attention to what it is. That's just another mental factor. There's no separate me from the whole thing that's sitting in the back of our head and watching it. Problem, of course, is that it feels like that. It feels as though there's some little me sitting in the back of our head watching all of this. That is a deceptive appearance. Deceptive. It gives the. F- it deceives us into thinking that it corresponds to reality. Okay. Then there are many ways in which we can be to know objects, to cognize objects. They can be correct, they can be incorrect. Could be certain about things, it could be unsure about things. Could just be a guess. I guess this is your problem. I don't really know, but I guess. These are many different ways of knowing. But some ways of knowing are called apprehensions. And an apprehension is defined as an accurate and decisive cognition of something. So, we use the example, somebody said yes, we heard yes, and we're certain that they said yes. And it isn't as though they said yes and we heard no. Or that we're not certain what they said. 
whether they said yes or they said no. And just because it's a correct and decisive apprehension doesn't mean that we understood what the person meant by saying yes. But when we talk about understanding, of course, if it's going to be a uh, reliable understanding, it also needs to be an apprehension. In other words, our understanding needs to be correct. And it must be decisive. If our, we could understand things completely incorrectly, of course. And we could have, well, I think this is what I understand about it. I'm not sure. That also is not reliable. And, of course, we could be completely convinced that our understanding is correct when, in fact, it's wrong. <laughs> so, that's why understanding this basic factor of apprehension is very important if uh, we're going to deal simply with apprehension or if we're going to deal with understanding. And for an apprehension or an understanding to be uh, accurate has to fulfill three criteria. And we saw that uh, these are, first of all, there needs to be a, uh, a certain convention. And uh, we used uh, an example, let's say, within uh, the Dharma of uh, voidness. Do they talk about voidness? Yes, there's this convention talking about voidness in the Dharma. That gets into a whole complicated issue that uh, just came to my mind. Because uh, often we're dealing, not often, most of the time, most of us are dealing with uh, the Dharma in translation. And we come across words that have been used for translating Buddhist uh, terms that have very strong Christian connotations. For example, the word sin. And 
we can say, well, is there that convention? And you could look at a whole group of translations and say, well, yes, many translators have used this convention, but is it really the convention in the original languages? This is the problem. So just because a group of translators have used, adopted this convention isn't enough to uh, make it a correct translation, is it? So we have to look at the second criteria. Does it, is it contradicted by a mind that validly cognizes conventional truth? Daher müssen wir uns auch dem zweiten Kriterium zuwenden. Und zwar überprüfen wir hierbei, ob der Sachverhalt selbst der konventionelle Wahrheit richtig erfasst widersprochen wird. So, you look at the definition of the word sin. What are the connotations of the word in uh, our languages? What does it imply? It implies that there is a set of laws that were set down by higher authority, by God. Was impliziert denn dieser Begriff der Sünde? And if we break the law, if we don't follow the law, then we are guilty, and it's a sin, and we deserve to be punished. So then we look conventionally at all the Buddhist texts. And do we find anything like that whatsoever in the Buddhist texts? That there is a judge and laws and uh, guilty, not guilty? Absolutely nothing like that in the Buddhist texts. If you look at the original and you read a large variety of texts, nothing like that. Und uh, dann uh, kann man sich konventionell anschauen, bloß die uh, Texte uh, des uh, Buddhismus uh, und zwar also nicht nur eine Selektion davon, sondern uh, ganz uh, verschiedene Arten uh, von Texten kann man hier heranziehen und uh, man kann untersuchen, also ob uh, man in diesen Texten uh, solche Ideen findet wie uh, Grundgesetze, wie uh, Sünde und uh, Bestrafung und uh, wir sehen also, dass es diese uh, Dinge in den uh, meisten Texten total uh, vorkommen. It's not there. So uh, what does it say about this term? Conventionally in all the texts. So what do the texts say for this term? Our Tibetan student here, Dikba. It is a negative force, a negative potential that comes from acting in a destructive way based on unawareness and confusion about reality. Uh, wenn man uh, die Texte untersucht, dann findet man uh, hier einen Begriff uh, Dikpa. Und Dikpa, das bedeutet uh, so etwas wie eine uh, negative uh, Kraft oder negative Energie, 
die äh, entsteht aus äh, negativen Handlungen, die aus Unwissenheit äh, getätigt werden. So it arises from confusion, not from disobedience of a, a law. Und uh, hier ist also ganz klar, dass uh, diese uh, negative Energie uh, entsteht aus uh, Unwissenheit. Yeah, I didn't know that if I acted in this way, it would produce problems and suffering. Das ist uh, so zu verstehen, dass uh, man eben aus Unwissenheit uh, nicht weiß, dass wenn man in einer gewissen Art und Weise handelt, es zu Leid und Problemen führt. So if we understand this term as meaning sin, with all the Christian connotations of it, then it's contradicted by a mind that validly reads the text and has studied Buddhism and knows the conventional truth of the teachings. That's why it's very, very important when we study Buddhism in translation that we have a very critical mind about the translation terms because so many of them are misleading. Es ist wichtig, wenn wir den Buddhismus äh, anhand von Übersetzungen äh, studieren, dass wir einen kritischen äh, Geist bewahren, denn äh, sehr viele der Begriffe, die hier in den Übersetzungen erwähnt werden, äh, sind äh, irreführend. Words like blessing, bless me, so that I understand this. I mean, this is a Christian concept, not a Buddhist concept. Oder solche Worte, Leben, äh, im Sinne von Segen mich, damit ich dies oder jenes verstehe, das äh, kommt von einem christlichen Kontext. And then, the third criterion is that it's not contradicted by a mind that validly sees the deepest truth. Der dritte Kriterium dafür, dass ein Ersatz das verstanden haben, ist, dass dieses Verständnis nicht widersprochen wird von einem diese Wahrheit versteht. So, the deepest truth is that everything arises dependently. They arise dependently on mental labeling. So what does that mean? That's not a very easy thing to understand. What are things? Things are devoid of existing in some impossible way. So, when we're referring to these things that have the conventional name as, uh, or word, as sin or negative potential, what are we talking about? What establishes these things? What is a sin? A sin is what the word or concept sin refers to. There's nothing on the side of the object that establishes it as a sin. There's a concept of sin and that's labeled onto it. It's a sin. Es gibt, uh, 
sondern es ist bloß die geistige Zuschreibung, die diesen Gegenstand als Sünde verbindet. Right? You killed somebody, you lied, or whatever. It's simply the act of killing or lying, isn't it? Wenn man jemanden umbringt, jemanden ermordet oder lügt, dann ist dabei bloß diese Handlung des Tötens oder des Lügens. There's nothing inherent in that that by its own power makes it a sin. What is a sin? Well, there's the concept sin and it's what it refers to on the basis of this act. So... <laughs> It's being a sin is just arising based on that concept of uh, sin. And perhaps that's an incorrect mental label. Yes, <laughs> we could also label it a negative force, a negative potential. Right, and again, that's just a, a convention, but a more accurate one, because it also conforms with uh, conventional truth, what it says in the various texts. So, through a process like this, we can get to an accurate understanding of something. Think about that. <laughs> and this whole thing of things arising dependently on mental labeling is not easy to understand. However, think about what I said, <laughs> this explanation. I think perhaps that can make it a little bit more clear. Let me summarize it to help you think about it. Sin is just a convention. It doesn't accord with all the texts and all the explanations in the text, the meet, you know, what the word sin usually means. And it's just a convention, so could be, there could be different conventions, there could be different mental labels. There's nothing on the side of an act that makes it a sin by itself. So we apply critical thought to understanding something. Okay, and then decisive means that we have excluded everything else. Uh, 
So this is like voidness in a sense. Voidness is the absence of impossible ways of existing, impossible ways of establishing something. So when we have excluded, you know, everything that's impossible, what are you left with? Well, on the one hand, you're left with uh, just an absence of all this impossibility. That's what you focus on voidness. No, what are you, if you're going to focus on the absence of, of everything that's impossible, well, what are you left with? You're left with just this absence. Well, I mean, that's okay, so that's the absence of everything, but having excluded everything that's impossible, we're left with what's possible, isn't it? So, how do we specify something? How do we get certainty about it? By excluding everything that it's not. Which means it's, it isn't anything other than what it is. So we've excluded sin, we've excluded all sorts of strange things that uh, it could be, and so now we are certain that it means a negative force. We understand what that means. It's not that we're confusing it with something else. You have to think about all the possible meanings. I mean, not absolutely every possible meaning in the universe, but uh, the ones that are probable for a certain term in Buddhism and exclude that. You do that in medicine. How do you diagnose something? You test for various things. Well, it's not this, it's not that, it's not this, it's not that. Finally, you're left with what it must be. Just to make a diagnosis, 
without excluding other possibilities is not so certain, is it? You have to just be sure that there's a problem. I mean, that's the problem. Ohne alle anderen möglichen Krankheitsbilder auszuschließen, wird nicht sehr sicher sein. Man möchte bei der Diagnose sicher sein, dass das, was man diagnostiziert, tatsächlich auch alles. Simple example. I uh, was experiencing some dizziness. Um ein, ein einfaches Beispiel zu geben, kann man annehmen, dass uh, man Mittel erfahren hat. And I imagine that it was my, I have high blood pressure and that my blood pressure medicine had to be adjusted. So I went to a cardiologist and yes, the blood pressure medicine did have to be adjusted. However, he had to exclude other possibilities of what it could also be. So I went to an eye, ear and nose person and have my inner ear examined. Is there a problem with the inner ear? Went to a neurologist to uh, find out is there some problem with uh, the blood in the brain? All of that was excluded. Then you can be certain what the, what the problem is. So this is how we gain certainty. So it's very important when we are studying something to bring up the objections of what what all what are all the possibilities that uh, we think that it means and to exclude the ones that are incorrect by examining them narrow it down then you can be decide you know that your understanding is correct and it's decisive i'm sure that this is what it means It's very important. Yeah, it's so easy to have uh, really very subtle, incorrect understandings. We understand that, well, everything exists in terms of mental labeling. You only establish things in terms of mental labeling. So then we could think that uh, space and time are merely mental concepts. And so then we might think that there is no such thing as space and time and everything exists independently of space and time. Und 
Oh, there are some Indian philosophies that assert that, but Buddhism doesn't. So I remember quite well that when I was at uh, university and I was studying all the uh, various Indian philosophies, then I thought that this was what Buddhism actually asserted. I hadn't uh, really gotten very far in uh, you know, studying with actual Buddhist masters. And so that was an incorrect understanding. It had to be eliminated, had to be excluded later on you know, when I learned more. So we always have to check up what do we understand, what are the implications that uh, we understand and very often we are superimposing onto Buddhism ideas and concepts that come from other philosophies. We haven't specified the Buddhist teachings uh, well enough. Or even within the Buddhist teachings, we're mixing up the explanations that come from one school with what comes from another. It's very, very common that we study Tibetan Buddhism, for example, and we say, Buddhism asserts blah, 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 whereas uh, that's not at all what the Theravadins or the Zen or <laughs> Pure Land Buddhists assert. This is the Indian-Tibetan tradition. It's different on many, many points. Es ist also sehr oft der Fall, dass wenn wir den tibetischen Buddhismus studieren, dass wir dann davon sprechen, dass im Buddhismus die Dinge so und so sind. Und das ist aber inkorrekt, denn es ist nicht so, dass die indo-tibetische Tradition eben für den ganzen Buddhismus spricht, sondern es gibt hier auch andere Traditionen, so wie den Zen-Buddhismus, and if you're within the uh, Galukpa school, Galuk school, and we study Prasangaka, Madhyamaka Prasangaka, then often we think, well, Prasangaka says this, whereas actually it's only the Galukpa version of Prasangaka that has this assertion, each of the other Tibetan schools have completely different understanding of Prasangaka. Und 
bis wir eines Tages erkennen, dass die anderen Schulen des tibetischen Buddhismus ihr ganz eigenes Verständnis dieser Philosophie And even within Galupa Prasangika, there are the different textbook traditions of the different monasteries. They differ as well. When you start mixing together some explanations from one school, some explanations from another author, and so on, they don't necessarily go together very well. You'll find some contradictions. Und selbst innerhalb der Gelugschule gibt es dann auch die verschiedenen Lehrungen und Sichtweisen zur Prasanga und der Amika-Schule, die in den einzelnen Lehrbüchern der einzelnen Klosteruniversitäten niedergeschrieben sind. Und so ist es eben, dass man verschiedene Währungen von verschiedenen oder Traditionen dann auch sehr leicht vermischt. So that's called mixing. Yeah, making a big soup out of everything and uh, that just leads to uh, confusion. It's like saying all religions are the same. Und dieses Mischen, das führt dann dazu, dass diese einzelnen Texte und Traditionen dann eher kohärent sind und so entwickelt sich dann sehr leicht ein Missverständnis. Das ist so, wie wenn man sagt, dass alle Religionen gleich sind. So, does that mean that we don't study other schools and other explanations? No, doesn't mean that. If we have the capacity to not get confused, then we can, you know, without confusing each of the different positions, we can see that, well, this could be explained in one way, it could be explained in another way, it could be explained in a third way, and it gives us a much larger picture of different ways in which something could be explained or understood, like different levels of, well, level implies that one is better than the other, but uh, different viewpoints, and each of them have their validity. So it enriches our understanding without confusing them. Wenn es uns also gelingt, dabei nicht äh, durcheinander zu kommen, dann äh, kann es sehr hilfreich sein, äh, verschiedene Erklärungen und äh, verschiedene Traditionen äh, zu studieren, weil man äh, dadurch erkennen kann, dass es äh, eben verschiedene äh, Wege gibt, äh, verschiedene äh, Sichtweisen gibt, äh, eine zu erklären und das äh, führt, wenn wir uns dadurch nicht äh, verwirren lassen, Good example, what I find very useful is uh, when we talk about the various mental factors, let's say the disturbing emotions and so on, you find in the Abhidharma texts of Vasubandhu and the Abhidharma texts of uh, Asanga slightly different definitions. Well, if you learn both definitions, it enriches your understanding. Was ich als Beispiel geben möchte, zum Beispiel, wenn man hernimmt die verschiedenen Geistesarten, Geistesfaktoren und die verschiedenen Arten der negativen Emotionen, wenn man sich dieses Thema anschaut in den Abhidharma-Texten von Vasubandhu und den Abhidharma-Texten von Anga, dann findet man in diesen unterschiedlichen Texten 
leicht unterschiedliche Definitionen dieser Geistesfaktoren. Und ich finde das persönlich sehr hilfreich, um sozusagen dieses Thema mit mehr Komplexität auch darstellen zu können. And in Buddhaghosha's text of uh, the Theravada tradition, there are yet other definitions of the same mental factors. Get further insight. Und uh, weiteres Verständnis kann man auch uh, entwickeln, wenn man dann dazu auch noch heranzieht, zum Beispiel uh, den Text uh, von Buddhaghosha aus der Theravada-Tradition, in der wieder uh, andere Definitionen fliegen werden. So, you get certainty. Certainty doesn't mean that you become very dogmatic and this is the only way of understanding. Und so gibt man eben Sicherheit und Sicherheit heißt jetzt nicht, dass man sehr dogmatisch geht und bloß einen einzigen Weg sieht, dahin etwas zu verstehen. There's one more point. I know you have a question. Another point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between our Western uh, religions and the Dharma, so-called religions of Hinduism and uh, Buddhism. I'm drawing this from a, an analysis in a book called On Being Different. Ich beziehe mich äh, hier auf die äh, Untersuchungen, die äh, ein Autor in einem Buch gemacht hat, das hat den Titel On Being Different. From, uh, by Rajiv Malhotra, an Indian author. Das ist ein Autor mit dem Namen äh, Rajiv Malhotra. And points out that our Western traditions are uh, history-centered. In dem Buch äh, heißt es, dass unsere westlichen Traditionen äh, so, what does this mean? It means that time has a beginning, it has an end. And a historical person and a historical event had the final re revelation of the truth from God. And a historical person to a historical point the final revelation of the truth from God. So either Moses receiving uh, the laws from God, or Jesus or Muhammad. And the life story of these three people, totally essential. And that's the final truth. So it is up to us to accept that truth. And it's not something that we could figure out ourselves. If we could figure it out ourselves and we come up with, you know, oh, I had a, a revelation from God. Well, what happened to a lot of these people who came up and said that? They were burned at the stake as being uh, heretics. They were possessed by the devil. 
Und äh, das führt dann auch dazu, eben, dass äh, es einem äh, selbst in dieser Sichtweise äh, nicht äh, möglich ist, solche Offenbarungen äh, Gottes äh, selbst äh, zu erfahren. Und äh, selbst äh, in Fällen, wo äh, Leute dies von sich behauptet hatten, was mit denen passiert ist, ist, dass sie auf der Stelle verbrannt worden sind und als die Boten des Teufels abgestempelt worden sind. So, the Dharmic traditions, Hindu and Buddhist, are very different. They don't, they're not history-oriented, not history-centered about this event. Und die Dharma-Traditionen äh, des äh, Buddhismus und des äh, Hinduismus, die sind hier ganz äh, anders weil sie eben äh, nicht den äh, Mittelpunkt äh, haben in, äh, in einer Geschichte. Sie äh, fokussieren sich nicht auf ein historisches Ereignis. Each of us is capable of understanding and realizing truth about reality ourselves. It's the whole basis of Dharma tradition, isn't it? Äh, und äh, das führt dazu, dass äh, hier die Sichtweise herrscht, dass äh, jeder von uns äh, die Möglichkeit äh, hat, eben Einsicht zu gewinnen in die äh, letztendliche Wahrheit. Various teachers, Buddha included, could show us the way, but everybody needs to figure it out themselves. It's very, very different, isn't it? Und äh, das ist die äh, Basis dieser äh, Traditionen. Äh, es ist dann so, dass äh, die verschiedenen äh, Lehrer, so wie der äh, Buddha, zwar uns den Weg aufzeigen können, aber wir diesen Weg selber gehen müssen. Und diese Sichtweise ist doch ziemlich anders als von Traditionen. So naturally, there are many different uh, valid explanations based on different people's experience. Und uh, hier gibt es dann uh, sehr viele uh, verschiedene uh, gültige uh, Verständnisweisen und Erklärungen, die uh, basieren auf den verschiedenen Erfahrungen von verschiedenen Menschen. So, in the Indian traditions, they embraces chaos. There's no problem with chaos, that there's multiplicity. This is, of course, the nature of the universe. Und uh, in den indischen Traditionen wird uh, dieses uh, Chaos, dieses uh, Nebeneinander, um, sozusagen mit offenen Armen empfangen. Also sie haben damit uh, kein Problem in einem Universum, dieses Grad an Chaos manifestiert. If you've ever been in India, lived in India, you see chaos, you know, from our point of view, but it functions perfectly. Nobody has a problem with it. Whereas in the Abrahamic traditions, then uh, chaos is a threat. It's a threat to the authority of the one truth. Während äh, in den äh, abrahamischen Traditionen dieses Chaos als äh, ein Bar äh, gesehen wird, äh, die äh, eben die Autorität dieser einen Wahrheit gefährdet. And so then you have to control it, control, rule it, you know, make sure that everything is uniform, everyone believes the same thing, one truth, etc. Very, very different, isn't it? Das führt dazu, dass man äh, dieses Chaos äh, beherrschen muss kontrollieren muss, dass man äh, die Leute dazu äh, bringen muss, äh, einheitlich zu sein, äh, dass äh, die Leute eben an die eine Wahrheit äh, glauben äh, mögen. Und äh, das ist dann noch eine ganz andere Zugangsweise, oder? So, when we approach the Dharma and it's explained that uh, this author under, you know, explains it like this, that author like this, this school like this, and that school like that, 
what is the typical Western tradition, uh, Western response to that is, but what does it really mean? So that's this, uh, you know, we can't deal with chaos, it has to, we have to control it, it has to be under control, one truth, what it really, really means. If you approach the Dharma in that way, you're going to have some problems. Wir können mit äh, diesem Chaos, mit diesem Durcheinander nicht viel anfangen. Wie gesagt, äh, sind wir immer bemüht, dieses Chaos zu einheitlichen und äh, zu beherrschen. Und wenn wir den Dharma also so äh, angehen, dann äh, wird äh, das äh, nicht sehr funktionieren. So, the many explanations, all of which are yeah, valid, we're talking about valid explanations, not crazy explanations, all of which are valid, we can have apprehension. It can be correct, it can be decisive, but individual. Und so können wir sehen, dass all diese verschiedenen Erklärungen nebeneinander stehen können, wenn wir verstehen, dass es sich dabei um verschiedene um das verschiedene Erfassen von Gegenständen handelt. Und dieses Erfassen ist immer halt ausgestattet, bestimmt und äh, präzise. Und äh, so sehen wir, dass äh, dieses Verschiedenfassen eben zu verschiedenen äh, Erklärungen führt, die nebeneinander stehen können. Like the example, classic example, that uh, here you have something and the humans see it as water, the ghosts see it as uh, pus and the gods see it as nectar. All of them are correct. Das klassische Beispiel, das hierfür erwähnt wird, ist, dass es hier etwas gibt, was die Menschen als Wasser wahrnehmen, die hungrigen Geister als Eiter wahrnehmen und die Götter als Nektar wahrnehmen. Und alle diese Arten, dieses Etwas zu erfassen, sind korrekt. Korrekt, accurate, decisive. Perfekt, genau und sicher. So, yes, but what is it really? from completely different uh, cultural background. So, we apply this to a, an example that we can relate to rather than the pus, water, nectar phenomenon. What is this thing? To adults it's a watch, to a baby it's a toy. What is it really? Wenn wir das Beispiel, äh, des, also das Beispiel, was wir jetzt gerade erwähnt haben, mit äh, Wasser, Eiter und Nektar hernehmen und äh, vielleicht äh, ein äh, Beispiel nehmen, das in unserer Kultur besser äh, äh, ist, dann ist die Frage, äh, so diese äh, Uhr, was ist das für Erwachsene? Das ist dann eine Uhr. Und äh, für Kinder ist es ein Spielzeug, aber was ist es wirklich? Is one more valid than the other? Gültiger als das andere. Think about that. <laughs> okay. So this is the basic principle that we find in family therapy, particularly in the contextual branch of family therapy. Uh, 
grundlegendes äh, Merkmal von auch äh, Familientherapie zum Beispiel. Yeah, especially contextual therapy. Äh, vor allem äh, also so äh, Therapieansätze, die äh, kontextbezogen sind. Which uh, is this principle of multidimensional fairness. Multidimensional fairness. Hier spricht man von einem Prinzip einer multidimensionalen Fairness, einer multidimensionalen Gültigkeit vielleicht. Oder? You get a family together and you ask each person in the family, how do they understand the situation? What's the problem? You're fair equally to everybody in the family. And the point being that the child's perception of it, the mother's perception, the father's perception, all of them are valid. And to really understand the situation, you have to understand everybody's point of view. It's like the water pus nectar situation, isn't it? Also hier uh, arbeitet man zum Beispiel so, dass man die ganze Familie uh, zusammenführt uh, und uh, sich anhört, was uh, jedes einzelne Familienmitglied uh, zu sagen hat über die Situation, über das Problem. Und uh, jede der einzelnen Erklärungen uh, jedes Familienmitglieds uh, sind gültig und werden sozusagen als uh, betrachtet. Und als uh, Gesamtheit uh, stellen uh, diese verschiedenen Sichtweisen dann die Situation uh, korrekt uh, dar. Und uh, das ist eigentlich genau dasselbe wie mit unserem uh, Wasser, uh, Eiter und Nektar Beispiel. Now when we talk about understanding, many, many different aspects to it, aren't there? Ja, wenn wir davon sprechen, etwas zu uh, verstehen, gibt es hier eine Vielzahl von verschiedenen Aspekten. But each one needs to be accurate and decisive in order for it to be reliable in order for it to be valid think about that okay perhaps we have some time for questions now yes I have an objection to the term decisive. Mm -hmm. It's uh, very much um, putting an additional layer of um, attachment to a, a certain mindset. I'm not sure if, um, why is it needed if accurate is already there. It's basically already requiring some judgment of, of being sure. So you're saying that why do we need to have decisive in addition to accurate? If it's uh, accurate, then uh, doesn't that imply that it's decisive? As I, I gave the example, I think that you said yes, but I'm really not sure. Just because we, it could be a correct guess. If you hear yes and you say yes and you, the person says yes and you hear yes, but you're not really sure, then it's not decisive. You know, I thought I saw you yesterday, but I'm really not sure. So it could be a good, guess, a correct guess. 
So zum Beispiel, wenn man glaubt, jemanden gerade gestern gesehen zu haben und man ist sich aber nicht ganz sicher, dann könnte das so etwas wie ein richtiges Erraten sein auch. When we guess the answer, we could either guess the correct answer or guess the incorrect answer. If it's the correct answer, we're accurate. But it's a guess, we're not sure. Ja. Wir haben eingangs gehört von den drei Charakteristiken. Jetzt zum Schluss ist es in die Richtung individuell richtiges Verständnis. Jedes Verständnis, das eine Person... Wie verhält sich jetzt dieses, diese drei Charakteristiken in dem Zusammenhang? Sind die dann auch individuell beliebig und nur individuell quasi überprüfbar oder ist so the uh, question is the following. Um, we've heard about the three characteristics for submission, uh, and uh, then now uh, we've just heard also about that the uh, apprehensions can be valid. So, uh, what is their uh, relationship to each other? Dass diese drei Charakteristika mm -hmm. dann nicht verbindlich für mehrere Personen yeah. sind, sondern für jede Person für sich. So is it the case that the three characteristics uh, uh, apply uh, not to the group of people as a whole, but to the individual people? Mm. Well, this starts to get quite complicated. Uh, uh, it's complicated. It's just, uh, no, that's just a forewarning. <laughs> I will try to explain it, but uh, you are forewarned. It's a little bit complicated. Hmm. There are certain criteria. Let's say the child thinks that uh, you said no, whereas in fact you said yes, and so it's contradicted. So the child's uh, understanding of the situation is not accurate. Es gibt also verschiedene Kriterien, zum Beispiel wenn das Kind gehört hat, dass man Nein gesagt hat, man selbst hat aber Ja gesagt, dann ist dieses Erfassen des Kindes kein korrektes Erfassen. Okay, let's look at the uh, example of the pus water nectar phenomenon, the way that it's uh, described in the text, the way that it's explained. There are defining characteristics of phenomenon. They are not, they don't have the power to establish the phenomenon as this or that, but conventionally they do have, there are characteristic features. You can't find them, but there are. Hmm. And you can't find them on the side of the object. 
The example that uh, I use for this, which perhaps makes it a little bit uh, understandable, is let's say you have 12 eggs. And you want to make an omelet. The 12 eggs can be divided into three groups of four, four groups of three, six groups of two. So that is a characteristic of the 12 eggs that it is divisible by three, divisible by four, divisible by six, divisible by two. Can you find those characteristics on the side of the 12 eggs? Where? However, there are these characteristics, defining characteristics of these 12 eggs, isn't there? Think about that. <laughs> I love that example. <laughs> it's not just a concept, is it? Divisible by four, three, or six. I mean, it is a concept, however, it's referring to something that uh, is actuality. So, the point being that uh, there are many valid characteristic features of any phenomenon. Right, but of course they're just established by mental labeling. However, conventionally there are many defining characteristics that are valid. So, you take the example of the family, there's certain behavior. Well, the behavior, somebody might uh, be dealing with one characteristic feature of it, and another person in the family is uh, dealing with a different characteristic feature. So, one partner, let's say one parent, father, child says, you never say you love me. You don't say that. That could be correct. And the father says, 
well, but I work and I provide a home and money and all sorts of things for you. That's also correct. Right, food, clothing, I provide all of this for you. So we have two defining characteristics of the behavior of the father. One is that the father doesn't say, I love you. And the other characteristic is that the father provides everything, everything material for the child. So to focus on each of those decisively, accurately, they're both correct. Now the difference is, how do you interpret it? Both are accurate uh, assessments of the situation. Now the difference comes in how these are interpreted. Right, so this gets into inference. You don't say, I love you. I infer that what that means is that you don't love me because you don't say it. And the father says, but, you know, I provide all of this. I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't provide this. So, the actual, I guess what we would call the facts, the objective facts of this situation, each, you know, each person is, uh, has a valid apprehension of it, but then, you know, the mental labels, how it's understood. It is correct that the child feels unloved and the father feels that the, that the father is, is loving. That's correct from their points of view. But then, do they understand uh, each other? That's where the interchange comes. It seems to me that you don't love me because you don't say I love you. Father says, but I do love you. So what one needs to uh, learn in this situation is particularly relevant in couple situations, couple therapy, 
is uh, what one uh, psychologist, the founder of this school, uh, mentioned, is to learn to accept different currencies. Different currencies, like in money. I am paying you in, the child wants to be paid in dollars, let's say affection, and the father is offering euros, taking care of you. So you have to learn that you could, you could pay in either currency, that it's okay, that it's valid. That's the trick. <laughs> Und äh, was äh, man äh, hier lernen muss, ist, äh, sind so die verschiedenen Erwährungen. Und das ist auch äh, ein Konzept, das in der Paartherapie auch immer wieder äh, angewendet, angewendet äh, wird. Äh, es ist bei äh, uns zum Beispiel zu bleiben so, dass äh, vielleicht äh, das Kind gerne in äh, Dollar bezahlt werden wird. Das heißt, es hätte gerne. Äh, Liebe und äh, Zuneigung und äh, der Vater aber bezahlt mit äh, Euro äh, eben dadurch, dass er sich äh, um das Ex um das materielle äh, Wohl der Familie äh, sorgt. Und äh, so ist es in solchen Situationen eben äh, wichtig äh, zu äh, lernen, dass man äh, dass verschiedene Leute in verschiedenen äh, Währungen äh, zahlen und dass jede äh, eigene dieser Währungen ihre eigene Gültigkeit hat. So, this is uh, the application in relationships with others and uh, this is a, a very valid analysis from uh, the Dharma point of view as well that there are different explanations different uh, sets of uh, understanding equally valid and we have to learn that okay this is another way this is another currency in a sense particularly when it comes to methods of meditation das ist sehr hilfreich, also äh, gerade wenn man äh, in einem geht, und äh, aber auch äh, für äh, unser Verständnis des äh, Dharma ist es äh, wichtig zu sehen, dass es Erfahrungen äh, gibt und dass es verschiedene Arten und Weisen gibt, äh, etwas äh, zu verstehen, die aber jeweils für sich genommen äh, gültig sind. Und äh, das ist äh, besonders wichtig auch zu verstehen in Bezug auf äh, verschiedene Meditationsanweisungen. Think of that whole bit of mantra recitation. Tibetans love mantras. You know, the great way of, you know, of calming the mind, getting the mind focused, and so on. You ask the Theravadan, and they say, oh, don't do mantras. You know, that's just uh, mental chattering and stuff like that. Quiet the mind. How do you deal with that? <laughs> angetan als eine Methode, um den Geist zu fokussieren und zu konzentrieren. Und äh, wenn man dann aber äh, aus der Nachwader-Tradition spricht, äh, dann wird äh, der oder diejenige einem äh, sagen, dass man das äh, bloß äh, geistiges äh, Gekabere sind, dass man das nicht äh, machen sollte, sondern lieber andere Methoden anwenden sollte oder So each is distinguishing a different characteristic feature of Mantra recitation, aren't they? And understanding it differently. And within each system it makes sense. Und innerhalb jeweils des Eigenes macht das auch we really want to understand mantra recitation then 
it's helpful to know these different points of view. Then we could see what is most beneficial for me. So, if we're going to do several different meditations, like you do here, you know, one night you do Tara meditation, so I'm sure you're reciting mantras, and one night you're doing mindfulness meditation, so basically Theravada. So, when you're doing the Tara recitation, you have to be decisive that this is beneficial, not have this, well, maybe it's beneficial, but the Theravadans say that it's just noise in your head and you have to quiet the mind, and so then you're not decisive that this is a, a proper meditation to do and that, of course, you don't benefit from it very much. You're not confident in what you're doing. You're questioning it. So, reciting the Tara mantra, or whatever mantra, and we understand it, it's accurate, we're decisive, this is uh, beneficial, it has this use, that use, we are focusing on one characteristic feature of, uh, of the mantras, in terms of helping us to generate a state of mind, and so on. When you're doing the mindfulness meditation, another occasion, and then we get completely into that. We're focusing on the characteristic feature that if you see, if a mantra comes in your head, well, it's just mental chattering, it's just mental noise, and then it passes like that. So you're, you are accurately and decisively focusing on a different characteristic feature of the mantra. Both characteristic features are valid, like divisible by four or three. Auf einmal äh, dieses äh, Mantra sich äh, im Geist äh, manifestiert, dann äh, wird man äh, dieses äh, Mantra äh, anders, äh, wird man ein anderes äh, charakteristisches Merkmal dieses Mantras äh, genau und äh, mit Sicherheit äh, bestimmen, nämlich in diesem Fall äh, jenes äh, Merkmal, dass äh, dieses Mantra ein geistiges äh, Geben oder Senken ist oder eine äh, Ablenkung oder ein äh, Gedanke und äh, in Verbal. 
Ja, Virgo. Also das heißt, eine verbale, eine verbale Lautliste in diesem Kontext also loszulassen ist. Und so ist also hier, und diese zwei charakteristischen Merkmale des Mantra, einerseits in der Tarot-Version und andererseits in der Achtsamkeitsmeditation, sind beide gültig, genauso wie in unserem Beispiel von Buch 4 Tagos sind. Right? Everything is valid within its own context. So then there's no chaos here. Within the context of hungry ghosts, you know, of ghosts, it's pus. Within the context of humans, it's water. Within the context of uh, Tara meditation, mantra is one thing. In the context of uh, mindfulness meditation, mantra is something else. No problem, no contradiction. Also, alles ist in seinem eigenen Kontext gültig und das führt dazu, dass man weniger Widersprüche hat, genauso wie eben im Kontext der hungrigen Geister sich etwas als Eifel darstellt, im Kontext der Menschen als Wasser erscheint und im Kontext der Götter als Nektar erscheint oder eben das im Kontext der Tarnimitation, dass Mantra in dieser Art und Weise erfasst wird und im Kontext der Achtsamkeitsimitation in einer anderen Art und Weise. So, if we superimpose onto Buddhism, Buddha, like Moses, got this revelation from who knows whom, but got this revelation that, you know, do mantras, or Vajradhara said, do mantras, and this is it, the one truth, then we have a lot of problems with uh, all the variety of meditations that are done. Not like that. Buddha said the truth, and that's it. Well, Buddha said many, many things. Buddha bloß eine Wahrheit gelehrt hat und nicht viele verschiedene Lehrreden gegeben hat, oder dass wir, wenn wir den Buddhismus zuschreiben, wie das Rationale gesagt hat, dass Mantras rezitieren sollte, dann werden wir sehr viele Probleme haben, mit der Vielzahl von verschiedenen Klassekommen, die es im Buddhismus gibt. This is a problem when you look at Buddha just as a historical figure. Well, you know, historically the Buddha didn't <laughs> didn't do that. And then you get the Mahayana version of a Buddha and you get the Tantra version of a Buddha and then we're completely confused, aren't we? That's because we're thinking just, you know, this linear thing that you have to have a historical figure and the historical event is so important. Und dasselbe ist der Fall, wenn wir den Buddha lediglich als deutsche Persönlichkeit wahrnehmen und dann unterscheiden davon, wie das Verständnis eines Buddha in Mahayana oder Vajrayana dargestellt wird. Und diese, wir werden dann also durcheinander kommen und das lässt sich eben darum führen, dass wir eben dieses Grundverständnis haben von historischen Ereignissen und historischen Persönlichkeiten. An Indian friend of mine had a very lovely discussion with him, and he uh, pointed out to me that most Indians don't even believe in history. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> comment, isn't it? <laughs> so, 
So with that, let's have our break and then we'll continue. <laughs>